Hi, everyone. I'm Tom Jenkins, Fire Chief with the City of Rogers, Arkansas, and the IAFC President in 2017 to 2018. And I'm Sheldon Gilbert, former Fire Chief of the Alameda County, California Fire Department, and now a Chief Executive Officer of Emergency Services Consulting International, or as we like to go by, ESCI. And this is the iChiefs Podcast. If you're searching for new ideas, looking to improve your leadership skills, and wanting to make a difference within your organization, this is the podcast for you. We encourage you to join us as we engage with fire service leaders who discuss the challenges and opportunities facing you and your agency. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank Public Consulting Group for sponsoring this episode of the iChiefs podcast. Public Consulting Group, or PCG, offers fire and EMS consulting, including revenue optimization, cost settlement, and supplemental payment services, along with Medicare ground ambulance data collection, emergency triage, treat and transport initiative, or EP3, and EP3 type services that allow you to leverage enhanced reimbursement rates for providing transformation and changes in your community. Visit PCGUS.com to learn more about how their EMS team can support your department today. And in the middle of a pandemic, uh, it's good to actually return to some normalcy and talk about the the complex and seemingly ever-changing topic of EMS and reimbursement and how our fire service uh, and, and ambulance services can can be more sustainable and more more uh, you know revenue positive. And so our topic today of ET3 is very timely, very appropriate, and uh, it's wonderful to be here with you today, Sheldon. Thanks, Tom. And this is a very relevant topic. And I know those of us who have worked in EMS for a number of years back in the 80s and the 90s were always talking about getting the right treatment to the right patient at the right time at the right location. And, and it continued to get bogged down because it could never get quite across the line as to how it was going to be paid for. And so sure enough, here we are in 2019 and 2020 where we have a potential solution. So we're super excited to, to talk to some subject matter experts today on the ET3 uh, program and what its uh, elements are and how it can be advantageous to uh, jurisdictions uh, and, and our members uh, of the IFC. So we're joined by uh, Fire Chief and former IFC President John Sinclair from the Catitas Valley Washington Fire and Rescue District. Uh, we have Division Chief uh, Peter Lawrence from Oceanside, California, who I had the privilege of working with many years in the 80s and 90s on these types of issues, and Senior Consultant Maggie Durham from the Public Consulting Group, and, and they're here to kind of educate us and discuss what ET3 can mean for your organization and, and for IAC members and for our podcast listeners. So we look forward to having some interesting discussions today on a very, very innovative program. And Chief Sinclair, why don't, why don't we start with you and I know you've been involved in this for many years, trying to get it to this point and, and understand the history very well. Could you kind of give us the history and the evolution of this program and this approach to uh, delivering services to, uh, to the communities? Sure. Thank you very much for the question, Sheldon. And if I may, uh, if we go back to when Sheldon was but a young firefighter and paramedic way back, um, back in 1966, we had the Social Security Act that was created that allowed for Medicare services. If you will, that was pre-modern-day EMS, and we established back then what transport criteria were, and we established what a fee would be. Back then, in those days, 
EMS was um, pre our modern thought of EMS. But what happened is, is that we established an ambulance transport fee for what at the time was a horizontal taxi. Um, we then enter into the late 60s, early 70s. We create very advanced EMS systems, but we never really moved on from there. So we quickly transition up to the Balanced Budget Act of 1997, which was we were going to rethink and take a look at the National Ambulance Transportation Fee Schedule. Um, Chief Lawrence, myself, um, under the direction of Jack Creekiel, who was the EMS section chair at the time, participated with the national EMS community on the National Ambulance Transportation Fee Schedule. And as we were going through that process, what we were trying to do was modernize the fee schedule to make it reality for w the way that healthcare had evolved, how EMS was evolving. And every time we talked about one of these um, issues that ET3 talks about now, which is um, non-traditional destination or alternative destination, um, treat no transport, what the uh, Healthcare Finance Administration at the time uh, that was the precursor to CMS, said, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. We'll put that on the parking lot. So since 2000, when we rolled this out, uh, the National Ambulance Transportation Fee Schedule, we have been trying to revisit this and working with CMS to say, look, we really need to have something that is reflective of current practice because not everybody needs to go to the hospital. And if we want to secure downstream healthcare savings, we won't take everybody to the hospital or we'll take them to an alternative. And so we're now in this where after 20 years of uh, tenacity, CMS has finally looked at it and that's when they rolled out this uh, pilot program, which we think is really going to modernize and revolutionize the healthcare financing for EMS systems. And so that's what we're doing. We're looking at this. We believe very strongly that the E3 program is actually going to help CMS save downstream healthcare savings. Well, I appreciate that, John. I um, I think that you know that's it's hard for me to believe how long that stuff has been in the works and and Maggie I might I might turn to you and your and your role um you know one of the one of the things that I think is always you know cumbersome for fire chiefs is is just keeping up with everything that's going on so you know you you likely see a lot of different fire departments a lot of complexities and different sizes in your role trying to help them out and and for those listeners that aren't familiar with what ET3 is or emergency treat excuse me triage treat and transport you know simply you know what is it for the for the people that maybe are very elementary in their understanding of it sure thing um and yes to the point it's systemic change um takes a long, long time. So um, it's good that we've we finally arrived for ET3 and for the pilot. For departments, uh, CMS had released, they had announced um, pilot last February 2019. The RFA was released last May uh, with applications being due in the fall. So at that time, um, it was perceived from all types of providers that it was too quick of a turnaround and too heavy of a lift. Um, the application was 
incredibly comprehensive, um, but but definitely a large undertaking. Um, so with at PCG, we set up, uh, we designed an ET3 program to help support providers and departments to pursue the application. Um, so taking on project management and going through all procedures and protocols and documentation to get to the heart of what actually happens within each individual department and how to communicate that respectively on all the various answers um, in the application. Uh, applications were due and uh, at the last second were extended and I think that uh, had CMS announced that extension even a week prior, they probably could have seen a much higher volume of applicants. Um, with the intended pilot start date of January 1st, 2020, um, that got pushed back to this spring, and then it was announced this. Uh, it was announced last month that they are postponing ET3 um, given the current state with COVID. So, um, for providers that they definitely still have access to the existing application uh, to help to start chipping away at what documentation they would need to to review and or generate in order to speak. Um, to speak to each of the contents uh, for the proposal. Um, I can dive into some of the requirements and some of the options. Um, alternative destination was the required component on the application, meaning that providers could and PCG would help to analyze data to determine the types of transports that could be, um, could, be could pivot to uh, um, offer an alternative transportation to a different destination, such as an uh, urgent care center, a behavioral health clinic, um, skilled nursing facility, federally qualified health center, um, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, having alternative destination was the bulk of the application and um, telehealth then or treatment in place um, was an option. And uh, knowing that there was a 24 seven requirement uh, for points of access to either transport people to alternative destinations aside from the emergency room, um, knowing not all of them are available 24 hours a day. Uh, that's where we at PCG had suggested that uh, providers that we worked with Im definitely implement the optional, um, the optional treatment in place via telehealth, knowing that telehealth can be provided uh, 24 hours a day. I'm saying a lot of things, so anyone care to jump in? I think that's a, um, a lot of great information, though, and I, and I think that's really important. And it's a good segue into the into the next question I had for, uh, and I'll lead with you, Pete, and then Maggie, if you have anything additional to add, I'd like to hear from you also. But um, as you know, we have we have listeners and, and members of the IFC of all different configurations and complexities as it relates to EMS delivery, and, and I know that the uh, the pilot projects and, and the submission of these projects is limited to certain amounts of things, like you just said, Maggie, but I'm curious if, if, if there's a department out there that wants to participate, um, there's, there's, there's first responder BLS, there's first responder ALS, there's transportation BLS, there's transportation ALS, and everything in between with all sort of different types of dispatch and communication centers. Um, Pete, you were always our go-to guy in California when it came to CMS statute and regulation and, and, and payment of services. and how how would you advise different departments of different sizes and shapes to to take a look at this to see if they're a good candidate to participate uh, either now or or in the future? Well, very good uh, question, Sheldon. And 
the the first thing is is that you have to be a transport entity in order to participate. And that's something that, you know, CMS and, and Chief Sinclair, myself, Chief Craig Keel, worked on for some time with the IAFC, and we continue through Evan Davis in the governmental affairs trying to get uh, CMS to recognize that the first response component is a very critical component, not just transport. But right now, ET3 requires, since Medicare is a transportation benefit, requires that a transportation resource has to be involved. And if you're a first response only, you you must partner with a transport provider. So that's the first thing that fire service agencies need to look at. And, and who is it that they can partner with? Is it the neighboring fire department or is it is it going to be a hospital-based service or a private ambulance service? Uh, going forward, though, I mean, COVID, the, the current coronavirus pandemic is changing a lot of what CMS and, and the insurance industries and the state have looked at in terms of the applicability of telemedicine, for example, and call screening. Previously, you know, there was a lot of, of hesitation on what, you know, was going to be allowed in pilot projects. Well, telemedicine is now being allowed for all sorts of Medicare-approved um, services. You know, my, my elderly mother no longer has to drive to the doctor because the doctor calls on her cell phone. And telemedicine no longer is audio and visual. It's, it's able to be done at just the audio level, which is going to allow people to participate in this program under the telemedicine, I think with a lot less investment in infrastructure and especially rural environments that don't have, uh, have maybe the capacity within their wireless system to do really high quality audio and the visual. As things change, I'm hoping that we're gonna have a lot of different opportunities for how we can look at a department can say, how can I do telemedicine? And as Maggie identified, you know, Telemedicine is available 24 hours a day. And one of the things ultimately I think the fire service needs to look at is coming up with some sort of a, of a national or regional option for fire service agencies to be able to get into telemedicine and be able to get into call triage, which is, again, one of the critical components of that initial call and dispatch, so that we've got options with, you know, much like the government, you know, purchasing organizations, the GPOs, where the Western Chiefs and the Midwest Chiefs, they all have this, these purchasing contracts. Those types of things are going to help us because it's going to allow a small department to be able to say, hey, I'm going to do call triage or I'm going to do telemedicine, and here's already a group that works with the fire service. So these, you know, we have to start with that partnership if you don't provide transport, um, but then there's lots of opportunities now especially given the uh, relaxation of what constitutes the qualification for, for what agencies or what, what uh, providers of service can do telemedicine. It's going to help us, I think, as we go forward. And those are, you know, the first things that people need to look at is, can I afford to do this? And so I, I think, you know, the pandemic, if there's any good coming out of it, is people being able to be relaxed in terms of, of alternate destination because they don't want everybody going to the emergency room. They made that clear. But we also do have to keep our local hospitals intact. And maybe the telemedicine is with the hospital. And, you know, we already make contact with them 
most of the time on the radio system to tell them what we're bringing in on the ALS side, but maybe on these BLS we can do the telemedicine with our local hospital. Keep that emergency room open because when this all falls out and we look at the emergency rooms, especially rural areas, they may not be able to survive if we keep having reductions in patients. So those are just some of the, I think, considerations for, for right now that we're looking at, especially in the uh, um, the area of telemedicine. Well, that's great, Chief. Thank you for, for sharing that. A lot of, lot of good options there. Uh, Maggie, do you have anything you would add to that, that you, uh, in relation to how departments can participate, or, or is that pretty much covered? Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I agree on all of those fronts. Um, now is the time for opportunity and kind of with the depth that I was getting into with the ET3 application, um, what's important for most departments to know is that this truly is an operations and clinical transformation. Um, there's a lot of changes that would have to happen in order to, to, to offer these services and then do so in a sustainable way that will be beneficial not only to the department and the department staff, but to the communities that are served. With the Medicare extension uh, in our COVID environment, uh, Medicare extension back at the end of March, alternative destination is now a reimbursable transport regardless of ET3 participation. Um, and since we know that ET3 is on hold, um, we're, we at PCG are marketing uh, to help support departments to pursue alternative destination if that is a good, going to be a good fit depending on their size and location, like you said. Um, and with telehealth, we've seen there's waivers uh, in Texas to endorse telehealth. And simultaneously, we are working uh, with state Medicaid agencies to be able to leverage uh, some of the components of the ET3 model, um, such as uh, like a mobile integrated healthcare aspects alongside uh, emergency room diversion, um, transporting to alternative destinations, and potentially working with those health systems to uh, offer telehealth services. Sheldon, can I chime in here? Most certainly. We'd love to hear from you, Chief. So uh, just to build on what uh, Pete and Maggie have stated, um, I think one of the things that we're going to find is that uh, the COVID-19 um, global pandemic has been and will be found to be what we um, call a disruptive event, you know, just like uh, disruptive technology and whatnot. Um, for years, um, fire departments that have been participating in community paramedicine um, programs have struggled to be able to monetize that operational effort. And um, they have done it, they have done it willingly, they've bent their operational cost curve in many cases, but they haven't really been able to monetize the, the effort by putting in. Now there are certain departments that have done it on grants, uh, but to get long-term stable funding what what Pete and Maggie just described relative to um, in this crisis, we have jumped right to telehealth. We have jumped to um, the fact that rather than taking people into a fixed site facility, we take them to a pop-up tent um, COVID clinic and that's authorized. 
once the federal government looks at this and says, what we did in this crisis worked, worked well, I think what's going to happen is that we're going to really relook at this. And, and you know, the ET3 was conceived of prior to COVID, but once we really begin to analyze the output of COVID, I think what we're going to realize is all of these measures work, they work well, they treat patients well, um, and um, it helped the overall healthcare system. And we'll wind up advocating to CMS and say, look, here are examples where this is working. Let's, let's take, because really ET3 is a study, but we've got a study in real world time that is proving that these things are working. To that point, Steve, um, we we have identified also, it seems so clear that with the rolling out of the ET3 pilot alongside the Medicare ground ambulance data collection, that uh, the data collection effort is to help establish the baseline of all providers nationwide um, for what their data looks like in order to benchmark uh, what would be the variable uh, and services provided, such as the ET3 model. So with some of those things on hold, um, but still being available in other avenues, um, it's going to be really incredible to see um, to see how robust the data can be once those two federal pacing programs um, are made available again. That's a great Point. summary. Um, one of the one of the things I'm sorry, Sheldon. One of the things that uh, I was sitting here when I was listening to all of you talk, uh, and I guess you know Maggie and Pete and John. Certainly, this would be applicable to any of you that that have an opinion. What what are the drawbacks? I mean, there's there's obvious benefit. Um, there, there's obvious reason to to like uh, a program like ET3. It makes sense, and it's not as archaic maybe as other other you know, uh, you know dated models. But what what are the drawbacks here from a fire department participating? Pete, you want to start off? Yeah, and, and that's a very good point because there, there are a couple. So you know, for example, the the, the call triage. You know, CMS understands after lots of conversations that we don't call screen for insured status when people come in uh, via 911. Because ET3 is specific for Medicare beneficiaries, the call triage component, until we get other insurers, state Medicaid programs and, and payers such as Anthem, Blue Cross, et cetera, involved in authorizing those types of payments, the call triage component may not be cost effective for some of these agencies that don't do a robust system right now already. Uh, that's one downside to the ET3 program because they're only going to pay you for the Medicare component. So, you know, you call 911, nobody asks what your, your medical cover insurance coverage is first. We go through the screening process and you get to the point that you find out that this person's covered under Medicaid and your Medicaid program won't reimburse for it, you've had an expense without a reimbursement. So that's one downside that agencies need to look at, and, and it's getting better. And again, the, the coronavirus pandemic is going to change some of the state's points of view as to whether or not this is, you know, is important stuff. Can we deal with the problem before we even send a resource out? So hopefully that will change. 
the other downside is is that um, again you, you have to as I identified before you we have to make sure especially in areas not served by a lot of emergency rooms that we don't take all of our patients away from that emergency room and work in a partnership with them to to try to be able to to work collaboratively so that we don't take out facilities that we need for those more severe patients because the the alternate destination is for BLS only um, it doesn't really apply on the ALS side of things which we do have some you know lower acuity ALS that might benefit uh, but those are a couple of items that I think we need to look at when you go to create it, especially if you're limited in what your transport destination options are. Those are, um, those are important considerations, Chief, and I, I'm glad you shared those because we obviously need to take a 360 view of this uh, if we're going to make this endeavor. And so I'm going to – I got one last question for you all, and then we'll, we'll, we'll be done for today. But I wanted to kind of uh, – and this will be a jump ball. Anybody can take it or multiple uh, folks if you, if you have an opinion on this. But uh, I believe we've got – and you've been mentioned, I think Maggie mentioned, there's some good studies, and Chief Sinclair mentioned, there's some good studies that show the medical efficacy of this type of thing. So I don't believe that we're going to have any problem proving that this has value to our patients and our communities. It's always been the payment that's been the problem. So assuming that, that these are successful and these projects that have been approved show success and show good outcomes, I'm going to ask you to put your crystal ball out there and, and share with us and share with our listeners, what do you see as the future opportunities based on these successful projects? What, what might that look like? And anybody who wants to take a shot at that would be great. And if, if you all want to take a shot at it, that'd be good too. I'll jump. It was really very clever on, uh, on CMS's part to require the multi-payer strategy in the ET3 application. What this does is uh, then to the point of screening for insurance status, uh, it makes the most sense to be able to engage private payers or the highest volume of payers, which could include the various types of Medicaid, um, to have those conversations to be able to engage those payers and leverage reimbursement rates in order to see through the large um, lift of the operations and clinical changes needed to offer alternative destination and telehealth. Um, here with PCG, uh, it's certainly something that we offer and we we're currently engaging a handful of state Medicaid agencies to, to offer a ET3 type model that would uh, work for state Medicaid. It would benefit the providers for enhanced reimbursement. There's potential cost savings that the state would benefit from um, that could potentially be an additional payment back to departments. Um, and then we would work alongside the departments participating in that model to the relationship um, and the enhanced reimbursement rates with commercial payers. That's a great and opportunity. This, this is Pete. And, and crystal ball-wise, what I really see is, is the – benefit for us is we're starting to get CMS and some of the other insurance payers away from seeing a transportation model only. And what I'd hope is that down the road, we can take robust agencies like Los Angeles County Fire, one of the largest fire departments in the world who provides a very good uh, EMS, paramedic level EMS delivery system, but does not transport that they would be able to do these alternate destination, they would able to be able to do these, these uh, call triage programs 
and get reimbursed without even having to involve the ambulance company on these lower acuity BLS level calls where we only order the ambulance up when necessary. We have fire stations in the fire service sitting there waiting for that next call. We aren't going to shut that engine company down because we have to provide service. It would give the opportunity for us to take potentially and reduce the ambulance component of our resources to what we truly need to be providing the response as opposed to responding ambulances to all these calls where we don't need to transport them. It allows us to start right-sizing the response and getting us to where EMS is not just a transport benefit. And I see that the crystal ball of this is that that is the future, and it's something that, that a lot of us, Chief Sinclair, myself, Jack Craykeel, Sheldon, we've all been working on for decades, and we're finally getting people to recognize that EMS is not just a transportation benefit. And and let me just build on what Pete just said, because what we're really trying to build is a system that enhances the patient experience, lowers overall health care costs, and gets people to the right place in the right time. Again, I think that we're going to find that COVID-19 is providing a very good backdrop for where this can be. And, and let me briefly explain that. The whole point of the COVID-19 response was to not break the healthcare system. We have flattened the curve, but we have broken many healthcare systems, but in the wrong way. Cardiovascular disease hasn't stopped, but STEMIs are down 60% while cardiac arrests are up. What that's showing you is that people are delaying their health care because they're afraid to go to the hospital. So I think one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to see a much broader utilization of telehealth and field assays, and we're in the, in the proper position to be able to do that through EMS. I think that we'll revolutionize um, the healthcare system and the healthcare payment system over the next five years because of lessons learned um, during this global pandemic crisis. Well, I can't thank you enough for all of you spending some time with us today and sharing with us, you know, your perception. And John, I think you closed well for us today, um, and I appreciate you giving us the context to how ET3 came around, and I like the way you said it, that this is about improving and enhancing the patient experience. It's about reducing healthcare costs and about delivering patients to the right place at the right time. And, and, I, and I guess it's, it's, it's showing some progression and some modification to, um, you know, to an area of emergency services that certainly needs it. You've been listening to our visit today with Fire Chief John Sinclair, Division Chief Peter Lawrence, and Senior Consultant Maggie Durham uh, with the Public's, uh, Public Consulting Group. And Public Consulting Group, of course, is a great place for fire and EMS consulting needs, especially those needs that deal with revenue optimization and cost settlement, supplemental payment, and things that have to do with ET3, which is what we've been discussing here today. I encourage, I encourage our listeners 
to take advantage of all the hard work our EMS section does within the IAFC. And you can go on there and learn about not just ET3, but a lot of applicable topics that are impacting this ever-changing category of emergency service. That's IAFC.org slash EMS. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for joining us for this iChiefs podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or Spotify, where you can subscribe and be sure to never miss a show. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next month.